Well, good evening, everyone, and good evening to those online. It is good to be gathered together tonight and just an opportunity to look into God's word together and then pray together. But what, what a privilege it is to uh, do this together. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer and then we'll uh, look into God's word. So, Father God, we are entirely thankful for your goodness mercy grace in our lives and you've brought us together as a church to study your word to hear from you to pray together and what a privilege it is for us to do this uh, we're thankful for the freedoms uh, we enjoy in this uh, land we're thankful for comforts we enjoy uh, roof over our heads and and just so many blessings father we recognize that um, many people around the world don't don't have what we have but they have you we're thankful for your call on our lives for salvation through jesus christ and we just pray that uh, thoughts expressed tonight would bring honor and glory to your holy name we pray this in jesus name amen turn with me please to jonah chapter four jonah chapter four I've been enjoying this um, this passage uh, all summer, and I'll just briefly say that uh, we started the summer, Jill and I looking at a book by Timothy Keller called uh, Rediscovering Jonah. Uh, he ironically passed away as we were getting into the book, and this may be his last book, but um, I'm calling my study Rediscovering Jonah chapter 4. And in my reading of Jonah chapter 4, I started out by saying, he did what? I was caught off guard by um, what we read in Jonah chapter 4. And I'm going to say, 63 years in, in the assemblies, I don't think I've heard a message on Jonah chapter 4. I'm tempted to put, ask you to put up your hand, see if you've heard a message on Jonah chapter 4. Uh, the Sunday school I went to only covered first three chapters of Jonah. Well-known story. We could uh, virtually recount the first three chapters of Jonah. And um, I didn't go to advanced Sunday school, so I didn't get Jonah chapter four, but you get it tonight. And I trust that you'll be blessed as we look at this uh, passage together. For those that uh, take notes or uh, put titles on messages, and maybe for the title on the website, it's Jonah 4, Don't Get Used to the Shade. So I've spent a summer looking at this chapter, talks about shade, we'll get into that, and um, enjoying the shade of, of uh, things we have around us, and uh, I trust you'll be blessed. Before I get into reading Jonah chapter 4, I'm just going to read you one little section from Matthew chapter 12, and you'll uh, know this passage as well. And it's Jesus as he's going around teaching and doing miracles, comes to uh, a point in verse 38 of Matthew Chapter 12, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. I'm reading from the 
ESV version. We wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Just a, a remarkable little passage. Um, I took a couple points from what we read in Matthew 12. First off, the story of Jonah is fact. The story of Jonah is not myth. Uh, Jesus referred to it as fact and used to, to say it was a sign. Uh, there's a eternal purpose for what happened in Jonah. And we would read that the men of Nineveh will rise up on judgment day and condemn the unsaved. It's about a sign. Jonah and the whale is a sign pointing to the Lord Jesus and pointing to the fact of the resurrection. And we're not getting any more signs, brothers and sisters. That was the last sign, the resurrection. We hang our hat and our faith and our hope on the glory of the resurrection. That was the sign given to us. And finally, a little passage in, in um, Jonah, or sorry, Matthew says, we are to focus on someone greater than Jonah. And that's... Part of what I want to uh, pull out tonight as we look at Jonah chapter 4, um, someone greater than Jonah to think about. Um, in Sunday school, I would have grown up thinking Jonah was a, a hero of the faith. Jonah chapter 4 makes me rethink that. Um, we learn a lot of important lessons from Jonah chapter 4, and I would just point out that start if we don't study Jonah chapter 4 I think we miss the message we need to study Jonah chapter 4 we need to teach it to our kids in Sunday school Jonah chapter 4 to me holds the meaning for what the whole story is about and as I read this passage I'm going to ask you to be thinking about three questions for yourself uh, should God not have pity is it well for you to be angry? These two questions are directly out of Jonah chapter 4. Should God have pity? Is it well for you to be angry? And then the third question I, I ask myself, drawing it out of this passage, how will your story end? We think we know how Jonah's story ends. If we go to Sunday school, chapter 1, God gives him a message to take to Nineveh. Instead of going northeast, he goes west. Uh, he runs away from God, tries to avoid his uh, mission, thrown into the sea, swallowed by a whale. Chapter 2, in the mid-belly of the whale, he prays a prayer of salvation. He recognized God's sovereign grace on his lives, and he prays for salvation. And the whale coughs him up on dry land. Chapter 3, God again gives... Jonah, a message to take to Nineveh. This time, Jonah obeys, goes to Nineveh, Nineveh, preaches this message. 
Nineveh repents. They live happily ever after. End of story, right? And then we read Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. I said to myself, what? I'm sure I've read this several times, but um, it caught me completely off guard at the start of summer. Jonah was exceedingly upset, exceedingly displeased, exceedingly angry. My goodness, what happened? Just backtrack one verse in chapter or 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So, <clears throat> Jonah took a message to Nineveh in obedience to God's call in his life. What was the message? In Sunday school, I would have thought, uh, for God so loved the world, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's not the message. In chapter 3 at the start, uh, God says, take this message to Nineveh. And it was the message, you are evil, in 40 days I will destroy this city. Jonah took a message of condemnation. He took a message of destruction. And I think Jonah, in his obedience, was afraid for his life. He wanted a different message, I'm sure. He wanted to give them something about the gracious God that he served. But God said, no, this is the message. Go to Nineveh and say, you're evil, and I'm going to destroy this city in 40 days. Uh, we sometimes think there was more to the message, and and I don't read it in the context of what we read in chapter 1 and chapter 3. Jonah took a message of destruction and condemnation. He took it fearfully, I believe. And I believe initially he thought he would lose his life after the episode with the fish. I think he thought God would protect him, and he took the message he preached the message as a prophet. The city and the king of Nineveh recognized their evil ways. They repented and God relented. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what happened to the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came on the next day, God appointed a worm that attracted the, that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? 
And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor? Or did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left hand? And also much cattle. Trust the Lord will bless you as, as we think of these verses together. Um, please come to me afterwards. I have never heard that story before. Um, never taught it in Sunday school. But uh, I've enjoyed chewing away at it for four months. It was part of my fear that Keith would teach on it uh, Sunday morning past or solace uh, on Tuesday evening would touch on uh, Jonah chapter four. And, and this would be a little redundant, but thankfully, um, I get to share what the Lord's put on my heart. Trust you'll be blessed as we paraphrase chapter four. Jonah's angry right off the bat. His message has become redundant. He, met, he prophesied destruction on Nineveh suddenly. That's not going to happen anymore. He's very angry. He's so angry. He says, I want to die. He says, I know you are a merciful God. I know you are loving. I know you are gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's virtually um, verbatim quoting God who appeared before Moses in Exodus 34 as Moses was preparing to write, rewrite the second set of tablets, God appeared before Moses and said, the Lord, Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The, the Lord God revealed his character to Moses, is Exodus 34. Uh, the children of Israel embraced that character of God down through the years, and Jonah here is, is virtually repeating it to the Lord, saying, I know who you are. I know you're a merciful God, but he's angry. He wants to die. And then he builds a hut for himself outside the city to see what happens to Nineveh. Along comes this plant, gives him pleasant shade. He's enjoying it. He loves it. He's happy. And the plant dies gets angry again, wants to die. And the Lord concludes the story of Jonah with the question, should I not pity Jonah? There's only two books in the Bible that end with a question. Uh, this is one. You can find the second one by yourself. Um, should I not pity the great city of Nineveh? That's our first question. We want to deal with tonight. Should I not show pity to Nineveh? If you allow me a little chuckle, it says, should I not pity Nineveh? They don't know their right hand from their left hand. There, there's a little humor in that, I think. Um, almost some sarcasm. So Jonah 1, we would know that the city of Nineveh is known for its evil ways. They are evildoers. History would tell us that the Assyrians attacked Israel every chance they got. They were a brutal people. They were um, the sworn enemy of, of God's people, the Israelites. 
Jonah had to go to him. And uh, God would say, should I not pity Nineveh? They don't even know their right hand from their left hand. Maybe think of uh, Paul in Acts 17.30. As he's speaking to the wise men of Athens, he said, you don't even know this God you're worshiping in the, in the past. God forgave such ignorance, but now he commands everyone to repent. So in the past, God forgave certain ignorances, but now he calls everyone to repentance. He's called the people of Nineveh to repentance through the challenge that he gave Jonah. So I believe Jonah just said, you are doomed. This city is going to be destroyed in 40 days you are evil you've turned your back on god and god relented should i not pity nineveh it's a bit of a redundant question isn't it we would sit here tonight and say of course you should pity nineveh you are a sovereign god you have your way with history you have your way with mankind of course you should pity nineveh how sovereign is your god if God took away your shade tonight, would you say, okay, that's all right, as he did to Jonah? Don't get too comfortable in your shade. And we would say, yes, God, we recognize you are sovereign. If you want to take our shade away, take our shade away. If God comes to you and says, take a message of destruction to your enemy, does God have that right to get you to take a message of destruction to your enemy? Hopefully we'll say, yes, it's, it's a dangerous mandate, isn't it, to trust a sovereign God? What if he gave us a message that uh, was uh, life-threatening? What if we were in Ukraine and we wanted to obey the Lord by going into Russia to preach a message of, of some destruction on on russia a challenging question how obedient would be to would we be to a sovereign god to take a a dangerous message to our enemy thankful we live in canada we might not say we have enemies we're a peaceful loving forgiving culture but um, we might have a gospel message that uh, we think certain groups of people don't deserve or certain groups of people wouldn't listen to. Uh, so if God calls us to preach a message to a certain culture, we might say, oh, no, no, they're not going to listen to that. Uh, let's agree tonight that in the context of God having pity on Nineveh, if he wants to have pity on a certain culture group, if he wants to have pity on a certain segment of society, he is sovereign. And if he asks us to take a message to that group, we must. Three ways we can react to God's sovereign character. If, if we're given a task, a mission, chapter one would say we might run away from it. We might disobey. We might turn our back on God. Chapter two of Jonah would say we could personally embrace it wrap ourselves in the comfort and warmth of a salvation through a gracious God. Chapter 3 would say we obey, we take the message, we share it, we 
proclaim it to the evil world around us. Let's be marked as people operating in Jonah chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is sovereign. We have a message to proclaim to the world around, including our enemies. Let's be faithful to the end. Next question I'd like us to think about is, is it well or good for you to be angry? Specifically, angry with God. Is it well or good for you to be angry with God? Some of your versions will say, is it right for you to be angry? Translators would, would suggest that the better Hebrew translation of the word Hebrew word is well. Is it well for you to be angry? Is it well for you to be angry with God? So it's not a sin to be angry in certain circumstances. It's not a sin to be angry with God. It's not good for you. It's not well for you. Um, there are examples, Moses, David, perhaps Job, Ezekiel, all had times of anger against God. And Jonah is angry with God. It's how we deal with that anger, how we react to that anger. Uh, in this case, Jonah say, I'm so angry, I want to die. That is extreme. That is extreme anger. We're not used to that. I've never heard of someone so angry. Uh, I've heard of someone who would say, I'm so angry, I could scream. We might have heard, I'm so angry, I could hit that person. I'm so angry I could kill that person, but I'm so angry I want to die. That's extreme anger. Life isn't worth living anymore. I want to die. Clearly, God's sympathetic with his people as they pass through grief and anger. He's fully willing to hear our expressions and our concerns as we pour out our concerns and pain. Knowing God is all-powerful, and could have averted certain events, our anger is often towards God. Why didn't God do something in this situation? Why didn't God save someone? These are hurting questions for Christians. Theologically, we know that God does no wrong, but emotionally we experience anger. As I look at this story, and then I think of what we read in Matthew chapter 12, that in the end, the men of Nineveh will stand up on judgment day and condemn those that did not repent there is eternal purpose for what happened in Nineveh God had a plan God had a sovereign plan he had purpose he's going to use the men of Nineveh the people of Nineveh in the end days we ourselves have limited per perspective on our hurts on our angers uh, we're short-sighted we don't see the big picture at times as we go through those times of difficulty in our lives, let's focus on what the Lord is trying to teach us. Paul would say that the Lord is trying to bring good out of everything in our circumstances, in our difficulties, lead us to maturity. 
And we need to be a people that see God at work in our lives through the good, through the bad, and not dwell on our anger. I was going to let Jill attest that I still have problems with anger, but thankfully, I don't dwell on them. I don't go to, go to sleep uh, in anger. We ought to be a people that can deal with our anger, address our anger, uh, learn to lean on God, share our angers with the Lord, and get on with life not wanting to die. We could spend a lot of time thinking about uh, part B question too, is it well for you to be angry? Jonah twice in this chapter says, I want to die. Is it right for you? Is it well for you? Is it good for you to say, I want to die? I don't know if you've ever been in that circumstance. I think I know you well enough to say, I don't think any of you have thought of dying, but we live in a day and age that cheapens life. There's free abortion on demand. Uh, some are seriously proposing infant side for those not developing perfectly. And now we have the MAID law, medical assistance in dying, that would say if you're tired of life, and I'm, I'm dumbing it down a little bit, but um, if you're thinking you can't go on in life anymore, you have the right to ask for assisted death. And I think we need to have more discussion as a church family on, on some of these issues. Uh, we've talked lots perhaps about abortion, but maybe not about uh, MAID. And um, let's not cheapen life by saying, I just want to die. I've, I've had it. As I age, I think, well, how many years do I have left? And, and uh, certainly uh, the question of MAID comes to mind. Would I ever use that? No. As a Christian, I don't think that's uh, what God would have for us. I'm happy to discuss this with anyone who might be thinking otherwise. Um, God is sovereign. He gives us our days. He numbers our days. He has purpose for our days, eternal purpose. And uh, Job testifies in chapter 30, verse 23, I know you will bring me down to death to the place appointed for all the living. Ecclesiastes 8, 8 declares, no man has power over the wind to contain us, so no one has power over the day of his death. God has the final say over death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, Hebrews 2, 9, and Revelation 21, 4. Euthanasia, assisted suicide, are man's attempt to usurp God's sovereign authority on our lives. Let's Let's be talking about this. Um, let's be dealing with a culture that cheapens the life around us and affirming God's sovereign purpose for our lives. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As I come to uh, 
the end of thoughts tonight, my third point uh, is how does your story end? In Sunday school, we might have thought how Jonah's story ends. They lived happily ever after. It's important in every passage of scripture we read it start to finish. Make sure we know how the story ends. How does your story end? As we read this story, Jonah's upset that things aren't going the way he prophesied. He's upset that the uh, city of Nineveh is being redeemed. He goes outside the city, sits down to see what happens. Have any of us tonight decided enough's enough? My mission's complete. I'm just going to see what, what happens. Uh, I know most of you just think you're serving faithfully, serving the Lord. We are not called to go sit in a little shade pavilion somewhere and see what happens. Uh, we press on. We serve to the end. We do not give up. I get a sense that Jonah said, well, that's it. I'm done. Mission accomplished. Um, no, I think as followers of the Lord, we would say, okay, Lord, I see what you've done here. What's my next mission? That should be our question. What is my next mission? Make that your question. We're not called to sit in the shade for the rest of our life. Shade is good. I've spent a summer enjoying shade. Um, many of you know we get away to a cottage. I, I consider myself an expert in shade. My uh, doctor said you'd need to stay out of the sunlight. Um, I have shade all around me. Um, I could go on at length about the 10 different ways I have shade at the cottage or shade in our backyard. And I'm sure many of you have perfected shade to the point where you're very comfortable on a hot summer day. But uh, what if we lost that shade? Uh, what if all the trees around our cottage burned down? Um, we would have no shade. I would be extremely uncomfortable. What is your shade this morning? Sometimes our shade is our family. We take great joy and comfort in our family. Sometimes our shade is our wealth. Sometimes our shade is our career and our prestige. Name something else that you might treasure. And do we think of the verse, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. We are blessed at times. We are blessed with wealth. We are blessed with good careers. We are blessed with family and we enjoy those, but God is sovereign and does God have a right to take away your shade? Would we react angrily if we lost the things that give us comfort and pleasure? Think that through tonight. What would happen if God took away your shade? I might ask, what is your Nineveh? Who are the people that you would be afraid to take the gospel to? For me, it was people at work. I could live a good life at work. I could be an example, but to proclaim a gospel message when I had opportunity, it was something that I had a struggle to do. Who is your enemy? Who are you people you're afraid of? Who are the people you would think don't deserve to hear uh, God's redeeming graces? Um, Will you go? If God calls you to the enemy with a message of destruction, will you go? We've been given a message, message of grace, uh, with the thought that 
someday this day of grace will end and there will be destruction. Press on, serve to the end. How will your obituary read? Uh, let's be a people that we do not lose heart. We do not get angry with God. Don't give up on life. We recognize shade may disappear at times. As we read the story, God put the plant in place and God took the plant away. And he does that in our lives at various times when we least expect it, that plant can be removed and we're, we're left without comforts. We're left without, um, we're left with grief and hardship. But let's be a people that trust the Lord for the eternal purpose that he has in mind. We look up, focus on the eternal life ahead. Well done, my good and faithful servant is something that we would want to hear in the end. As we conclude this thought around Jonah chapter 4, don't end up like Jonah. I, th I think as we reflect on this chapter, we'd see Jonah was a a little bit selfish he had this particular message he wanted to, to see his prophecy come true god had other plans um jonah would say i know who you are but did he live like he knew who god was he's not seen as a hero of faith in hebrews 11. we've got no indication from this chapter that he had remorse or recover from anger who wrote God's, who wrote Jonah's story? I think God did. God did to instruct us tonight. There's a purpose for what we read here tonight. It's to encourage us to press on, to live on. Uh, I read one commentary that suggests, well, obviously Jonah wrote it, and obviously Jonah redeemed his life because he wouldn't have written it otherwise. But I, I don't see it that way. I, I could see this being written by a third person. Who will write your story? What will it say in the end? Be faithful to God's calling and purpose for your life. This whole Jonah account that we read about from chapter 1 to chapter 4 is a story about God. It's a story about God loving an evil culture. It's about God having a redeeming message of grace for that evil culture. As we think about, was it right for God to have pity on Nineveh? And we agree, yes, it was right for God to have pity in you. Let us be a thankful people that he had pity on our lives. We are as equal in evil as the city of Nineveh. And God had pity on us. He sent someone with a message to us. And we received that message and we're glad. God is a redeeming God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger. And we rejoice in that tonight. I leave you with those thoughts and trust this little thought on Jonah would be an encouragement to you to finish your story well and trust the God, sovereign God for grace on your lives. Thank you again.